Hi, I'm Jules van Binsberg and a finance professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Jonathan Burke, a finance professor at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University. And this is the All Else Equal podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about an incredibly important topic, which is the topic of institutional neutrality. And we particularly want to talk about this topic in the context of universities. And the reason why I think, Jonathan, this topic is so important for universities is because of the mission that universities have. So the first question we probably should comment on is, what is the purpose of a university? Before we do that, Jules, let me just be clear. Maybe not everybody in our audience knows what we mean by the term institutional neutrality. So let's just be clear about that. What we mean is a business or a university or whatever institution does not take stands on issues unrelated to the core mission of the institution. So that's what we mean. Okay, and so now the question is, why in particular is this such an issue for universities? And I think the answer is because of what the purpose of a university is. After all, the purpose of a university is to advance knowledge. Yes, and to be able to advance knowledge, I think one of the key conditions that has to be met is that any possible opinion and any possible view on a particular issue should be openly discussable and openly debatable. Because after all, we just don't know for most things or for many things what the truth is. We are all trying to figure out what that truth is. Nobody has a monopoly on it. I don't think that anybody can say or demand also from universities to tell them what the truth is. I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what universities are about. Some people think that universities can adjudicate the truth. So you just go to them and you go to that institution and you say, tell me what it is. But I think that is the misunderstanding of an institution that really gives a platform for people to debate openly what the different arguments in the debate are. Jules, I think in many respects, professors have some culpability in this because of the way we teach. You know, when we teach, we present the facts or the theories or whatever we're presenting as if they were the truth. You know, when I teach, I try not to do that. I always try to say to students, look, if you don't think what I'm saying makes sense, you need to challenge me. I'm not a god. I can't just give you the truth. And I think that that's the key point of the institution of a university. We have to take it on face that we don't know the truth, even when we think we do. So there are just numerous examples of people that think, okay, we are so certain about a fact that we now think it is the truth. Best example, of course, I think is Newton's laws. If you had asked somebody before Einstein, if Newton's laws were wrong, people would have laughed at you. They were the most empirically validated scientific theory ever derived. And yet, they turned out to be wrong. Or if you would go to the 14th century and you would say to somebody at that point in time that what really makes you sick is not some deity or some god that makes you sick, but it's very small, microscopically small animals, bacteria and viruses that do this, that no person can see with their naked eye, you'd probably have ended up burned at the stakes if you would have said such a thing. Well, I mean, and there's evidence for that. The first person who truly understood the importance of disinfectant was a doctor in uh, the Vienna Maternity Hospital. And he showed in a very scientific way that 
by washing hands and using disinfectant, you could dramatically increase the survival rate of a woman in the maternity ward, and people rejected it. So the idea that we always know the truth is a fundamental mistake. I mean, think about electrons and light. You told people before quantum mechanics that you could, a, a light was both a wave and a particle, an electron is both a wave and a particle, they would have thought you were crazy. And so what that really does do, I think, is that people should just imagine right now, how many beliefs do they currently hold that they are really certain about to themselves that in a hundred years from now, people are just going to laugh at. And I think this is a very confronting thing for people to do because people like their certainties. But if there's one place where we should be able to let go of our certainties and be open to doubt and debate, it should be on a university campus. Where else would we have the possibility to do such a thing? And it's the only way science can proceed. You know, we've often spoken about the lesson of Galileo in previous podcasts, but to me, that's one of the most important lessons in human scientific thought. The fact is, before Galileo, Italy was the center of advancement, and after Galileo, they were nowhere. And so the idea of allowing people independent thought without any constraints is part and parcel of how the scientific method works. So Jules, what other thing I listeners might not be fully aware of is what's actually going on in universities right now. Well, so I think it is fair to say that particularly over the last couple of years, even if university may have had the intention of being institutional neutral, although we can even debate that issue, I think practically they just have not been neutral. On many different issues that were happening off campus, I think university leadership has felt the need to publicly comment and to communicate institution-wide positions on issues. And the problem, I think, with doing that is that taking a public stance as an administration, you inevitably alienate and potentially even silence people on the campus that disagree with that particular reading of the events or that particular interpretation of the events. So the question is, why did university administrators start doing this? I think in many ways they were naive. They really thought they knew the truth. So they were taking stands on issues they felt was truthful, you know, that there was no debate about. A very naive stand because there's always the possibility of debate. And then what happened next was up came a moral issue which nobody agreed on. In other words, the Palestinian crisis. And all of a sudden, in stark light, everybody could see that by taking moral positions on previous things, people now demanded they take moral positions on this conflict. And obviously, by not taking a moral position, they interpreted the university as having particular moral values, when in fact, I don't think there were moral values. I think the real issue was that for once, people were split and there was no obvious answer. Well, yes. Although I think you could say that if you take positions on everything and then suddenly you don't because she claimed to be neutral, of course, that is anything but neutral at that point in time, right? That at least is how it's interpreted. Although you're saying maybe the reason why they didn't say anything is because they truly didn't know what the right answer was. But coming back to the point that we had before, maybe they should have doubted themselves a little more on previous issues too, because all of these social issues are very complicated with many different layers and dimensions and different possible solutions. So trying to keep the discussion open for different points of view in these issues seems valuable to me. I mean, I think that's key. 
The fact is, there is no truth. And the fact is that you never know if there's a theory that will later turn out to be incorrect. So when you make a moral stand, you say it's immoral to think the following, and then you say what it is, then you shut down scientific debate. And as painful as it can be sometimes for somebody to voice a theory that other people find offensive, it's the core of what makes a university a place to advance science. And it's a huge mistake. Although I would slightly amend what you just said. I wouldn't say there is no truth. I think there is a truth. It's just that we never know for sure whether we've reached it. And therefore, it's a continuous search for it. It's absolutely true. That's what I mean. So I think this is a good time to introduce our guest today. We're extremely lucky to have John Echemendi. John Echemendi is the Patrick Soup's family professor of humanities and social sciences, and also a professor of philosophy. But more importantly, he served at the 17th Provost of Stanford University from 2000 to 2017 and grappled many times with these issues. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to have you, John. Well, let's start with what exactly institutional neutrality is. So, John, what do you think institutional neutrality is? So let me give a first a simplified answer, and then I, I do want to add some details later on. But I think that institutional neutrality is really just the doctrine that universities as institutions should not take positions on questions where there's any possibility of rational disagreement or debate. And I think that universities are unique in their obligation to maintain institutional neutrality. And that's because of their mission. Their mission is the creation and dissemination of knowledge for the benefit of all. And the university achieves this mission by adherence to a methodology of rational inquiry. And that depends crucially on vibrant debate and disagreement. Now, the university is the platform for that debate, not the adjudicator of the results. It's not the body that determines who won or who lost the, the debate. That's going to be determined in the long run by the methodology itself when there's no longer room for rational debate. We no longer debate whether the Earth orbits the sun or whether Fermat's last theorem has been proven. The community has accepted the overwhelming evidence of these facts, and so debate no longer occurs. Now, note that I don't say is no longer possible. It no longer occurs. Now, the reason it's important for the university to maintain neutrality on open questions is that taking a position will inevitably damage or distort the debates that are so crucial to rational inquiry. So an institutional dogma that position X is true can silence those who hold the contrary position. And if that contrary position happens to be true, then we may never arrive at the truth. So that's why institutional neutrality is so important to the university's mission. Now, let me make two caveats, Jonathan. One thing is that universities do take positions on issues that directly affect their mission. So universities take a position on research funding, that it's good, right? Federal research funding is good and should be increased. That would be great. So positions on issues that directly affect their mission. But the second thing, and this is very important and subtle, is that universities are themselves actors in the world. And we have to act in accordance with our best judgment of what is true. So let me give you two examples. One is a number of years ago, we had to replace the 
heating system for the university. We had a cogeneration plant that burned natural gas. And we decided to put in a system that actually a very advanced system that took heat out of the buildings and sent it back in the form of chilled water and heated water that did not involve any natural gas. So it was very innovative. And why did we do that? Well, we did that because on balance, we decided that it would be better not to burn fossil fuels. Now, the institution has not thereby taken a, a, a position. It is just acting as an actor in the world. And uh, it has not taken a position that everybody should divest, should uh, stop using natural gas or anything. The second example is investment decisions. I think we make investment decisions all the time. Investment decisions are actions, and we have to choose to make them in accordance with our best judgment. So those are the two caveats that I want to bring out. For sure. So this makes total sense. And indeed, there is a report that is over 50 years old, the Calvin Report, that clearly argued for the importance for institutional neutrality. But despite, I think, several decades in which I think universities actively try to do this, and recently, I think we've seen more and more that universities have started to deviate from this principle. So why do you think it is that universities decided to do this? Well, institutional neutrality is easy to agree to in the abstract, Yes, but it's very hard to practice because students, faculty, trustees, alumni want the university to take positions on issues that they feel have moral dimensions that they care a lot about particularly issues where there's disagreement about what the correct position is. So students, faculty want the university to take a position that will presumably be on, in favor of their side and, and, and give more, more credibility to their side. Now, I suspect that these demands come, at least in part, from a confusion of what the university's role is in, in the discovery of truth. So if you think that universities are adjudicators of truth, like the judge that rules on which side of the debate won, then of course it's natural to want the university to issue an authoritative pronouncement on issues that you care about and presumably on your side, right? So I think that the earliest departures from institutional neutrality came in the form of divestment demands, divestment for those universities that have endowments that they invest, so divestment from South Africa, from tobacco, from fossil fuel companies, private prisons, and so forth. So students and faculty and sometimes alumni pressured the university to divest from investing in certain industries, for example. Now, divestment itself does not violate institutional neutrality. If we decide that a particular enterprise is doing something immoral without redeeming value, then we should not invest in it. But divestment demands are really looking for a public announcement. They want the university to declare that the university has decided that these companies or these industries are so immoral that we're not going to invest in them. Now, what I believe universities should do is adopt policies of silent divestment. Their boards should decide what kinds of investments we want to avoid and act accordingly, but without making any public announcement of those decisions. But that's not what they did. They succumbed to the demands, perhaps because they believed divestment was the ethical thing to do, and publicized their decision. And that second step, in my opinion, was the mistake. And that was the foot in the door. 
now universities have made a practice or have started taking political stands in the form of public divestment decisions and announcements. So from there, it's not a big step to begin issuing political statements that aren't tied to investment decisions, just political statements about other things happening in the world. And so I think that was the kind of the slippery slope. So John, I think we've reached a point now where the costs of the slippery slope have really basically hit us in the face. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict has brought this matter into focus in a way that has not happened before. So now, in light of that thing, how do you see the importance of institutional neutrality in the light of this conflict? I mean, I think it's extremely important. I think that if ever there's a case of a complex issue that the university is in no position to adjudicate, it's the Middle East situation. This would be it. But the difficult thing is that it's made more complicated by the fact that certain aspects of the conflict seem to a lot of us not to be debatable. Like, for example, whether or not what Hamas did on October 7th was ethical. And I think a lot of us feel that that is not even open to debate. So universities felt that they should say something about at least that, at least condemn the terrorism the killing of innocent civilians. But that's a step, again, down a slippery slope because there's a whole bunch of other issues that then people want the university to take a stand on. And these other issues, like should Israel have been created or should there be a two-state solution or you know, is Israel's treatment of the Palestinians wrong? So a lot of other things that the university has no business taking a stand on. And for the alumni and students and faculty that want the university to take a stand, it's very difficult for them to make that distinction between basically an, a co comment about morality that I think is fairly but not entirely universally accepted. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more. While I think all three of us would be in complete agreement of the immorality of what Hamas did, if the university takes a stand on that, it implicitly means that there's a line that needs to be drawn. And the whole problem is nobody can draw that line. Well, there is a second mistake that I think the public makes, which is the assumption that if the university would make the statement, that then also means that everybody in the community would feel that way. Whereas actually this fact that each of the individual members would speak out and make the statement is a much stronger statement than one administrator trying to speak for everybody, which is almost certainly not true. Because when you have thousands of employees and students, there will be different opinions on different issues. Right. I mean, I think you make a, a good point. People forget that the university is, and, and what statements are made by the university are basically the statements of one or two or three individuals. And they're just ordinary individuals. They don't have any special access to the truth. And so the idea that Stanford University making a statement should carry a huge amount of weight is just confused. Okay, so John, given the fact that many universities have departed so far from institutional neutrality, is there a way back? Is there a way forward at this point? Well, there has to be, <laughs> but it's hard. So what universities should be doing is clearly articulating the reason for institutional neutrality, the reason it's important to our mission. They should be articulating that clearly 
And then they should stop the practice of taking stands left and right when an issue comes up, even if the students or the faculty or the alumni want them to. What the response should be is an explanation, again, of why we are not taking stands and why that is important to the university's mission. You know, if we hadn't started taking these stands, and, and I think I'd point to the early divestment movement as probably mostly to blame, if we hadn't been doing that, there wouldn't be this kind of expectation. Nobody is criticized, I don't think anybody is criticizing General Motors for not issuing statements about who's right, who's wrong in the Middle East. And so I think if we had been consistent about that, then I think people would understand it better or would not expect us to be making statements. But now if leaders would suddenly say, I mean, I think the point you made is, is a very important one, because I think that if suddenly you claim neutrality when you clearly weren't before, that claim of neutrality is anything but neutral. And that is exactly what illustrates the problem. And so now I think for the leaders that are currently in place, the question is, once the reputation is that I've taken stances and I've set tons of precedents, can I ever get a neutral precedent situation back? And I, I, I doubt that's possible in a plausible manner. I think you can. And I think you can partly because you have new generations of leadership. And for example, Stanford has a new president and a new provost. Penn has a new president. Harvard has a new president. And I think people don't appreciate that at this point, I mean, it's very, very, very sad that the Palestinians-Israel situation was the first thing to come up for these poor new presidents. But they are going to set the policies going forward. And hopefully people will come to understand that that is the policy and the reason for the policy. Now, it would be very difficult for somebody who had been issuing statements left and right about the morality of whatever, the George Floyd killing, this, that, and the other, to suddenly stop because then it looks like, oh, you cared about that, but you don't care about this. And I'm hopeful that people can understand that new leadership can change policies and we should change back to the right policy. I think what has been going on is actually corrosive. The fact that universities have been taking stands. Yeah, so John, our podcast is mainly directed at business decisions. And you know, we could think of this as a business decision. I mean, I think the lesson from this podcast and the lesson from the interview with you is that when businesses take positions on seemingly almost costless for them to do whatever position they take, they should understand the long-term costs to their business could be enormous. I think that's, I mean, what a lesson, you know, here, all the universities and presumably some, I don't know, but maybe this has happened to some companies as well. You start taking positions as many companies have done, and then you can't stop it. And then you are going to come to a case that is as difficult as the Middle Eastern crisis. And you're going to have to make a statement or people will criticize you for the very fact that you didn't make a statement, but you did before on other things. Well, John, thank you very much. I think this has been a pretty interesting, thought-provoking podcast about the costs of how small decisions can eventually really come back and bite you. No, and I also appreciated the optimistic outlook. 
And so I think so there is a way back. So let's get to work. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the All Else Equal podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners. And be sure to catch our next episode by subscribing or following our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more information and episodes, visit allelseequalpodcast.com or follow us on LinkedIn. The All Else Equal podcast is a production of Stanford University's Graduate School of Business and is produced by University FM.